1: What is happening? Welcome in to Inside Carolina's On The Beat Live. That's John Bowman. That's Adam Smith sliding in under the gun right at 9 o'clock. Perfect timing. And then Jeremiah Holloway. Wait a minute now. You're switching the screen around. Ha- you messing me up already, John. It's my first week back at On The Beat. What's happening, fellas? Y'all ready to get this going? Hey, man. Adam, I'll come to you first right out of the gate. Uh, Buck Sanders once coined the phrase, you can't win them all if you don't win the first one. I thought that was pretty good butt whipping on Saturday. <laughs> what was the uh, what were your what was your takeaway in the press box as you're watching it unfold?
2: Did Buck Sanders coin that?
1: Like, no, he but he's the boss, so yes, he did.
2: Right. Okay. So we're dealing in mis- misinformation here. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I mean I know he didn't. I'm just messing with you, TA. I, if it makes you feel any better, I had the YouTube channel open last week and looked like a total rookie at what I was doing. I was hearing a strange, you know, inner ear echo thing. I was like, what is happening? John diagnosed it perfectly. Um Yeah. I, I, th- I thought it was, um, I think the score kind of doesn't indicate how, like you said, thorough it was. I mean, you know, for a while there, you're like, my dear God, is is the UNC defense is doing this, you know, like they are getting after them like this. Um, you know, I think the, the the nine sacks that they had, I think seven were in the second half. I'm pretty sure they got to halftime with like two sacks and I believe five tackles for losses or somewhere thereabouts. I wrote about it in the instant analysis and still I was thinking like, wow, two sacks in the first half. You know, we had no idea the, (laughs) he had no idea the avalanche that was coming. You know what I mean? Um, so I thought that I thought the first drive from the offense was pretty dang impressive. The, the, the way they mix stuff in the, how versatile they were. Jeremiah has written about it, how physical they were. Um, I think you gotta be feel, feel, feeling pretty dang good if you're UNC football fan coming off that first week showing, knowing that you would expect this team to get better, right?
1: Absolutely. And Jeremiah, uh, When you're watching it, first of all, I want to get your take on your first game covering as an inside Carolina beat writer, but also the physicality that we did see. I think it surprised everybody. At at least it surprised me, because I was like, holy smokes, they're wearing these boys out. Yes. What was your take up there? Yeah, for sure. Well, as far as covering my first game, what I see,
3: you know, it was cool. Uh, It's been a while, I guess, since i covered, you know, traditionally covered a game, the last – quote-unquote, you know, game I covered was uh, the Final Four, uh, South Carolina and Iowa. So it was good to kind of get out there in front of a crowd and, you know, kind of, you know, being the element, doing my thing. Shout-out to, obviously, Adam for, you know, holding it down. He did a lot of great work on game day. Evan Rogers, our intern, Jalen Harrell, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, Jim Hawkins, the legend, and and, uh, and Taylor Vipolis. But um, as far as the physicality, man, I just want to say, like, I was certainly caught off guard, you know, like, and I'll admit, man, I was, I was wrong as well. You know, I didn't, I didn't expect the, um, really both the offensive line and the defensive line to kind of do the things that they did. I'm going to start with the offensive line. They spoke a lot during the off season, during training camp about establishing uh, depth on that line, trying to get eight deep on that line. It did actually pay off for them. Uh, to at least be six deep because, you know, Ed Bonsalus had his injury, and so they rolled with Jonathan Adorno. The other four starters played every snap, uh, every offensive snap throughout the game. Uh, But really, it was just a matter of, you know, those five guys, you know, for the majority of that game, you know, just kind of being solid, doing what they did, obviously not allowing a sack on Drake May, allowing for the offense to get 168 rushing yards Bridge Brooks had 103 of those. Um, so they, they did what they had to do. And then also even just the tight end blocking them being involved. Cause that was something that Freddie Kitchens was saying that they needed to be able to do in order to stay on the field you had. And then to switch over to the defense, nobody would have predicted nine <laughs> sacks. You know, nobody would have seen that coming. Um, but in a sense, The improvements on the defensive line probably should have been taken into account. First of all, you had the addition of Amari Gaynor through the transfer portal. Um, I think him sliding into that jack position, I think him and Kamen Rucker are going to lead the team in sacks this year. I think they're probably going to be one and two just kind of based on the way that, uh, you know, they're kind of set up. You didn't have uh, Tamari Fox last year. He had a sack. You didn't have Bo Atkinson on the field last year. He had one and a half sacks. Obviously, Gainer had two. So half of your sacks came from players that weren't on the line last year. Um, I don't think you get nine sacks again, but I think they showed you something against – I mean, that probably wasn't the greatest line in the world, but they showed you something against an SEC opponent, uh, you know, that they could you know, potentially disrupt the quarterback and do things like that. So I think from a phys- physicality standpoint, if you're a UNC fan, that does have to be encouraging. I'm not saying they played perfect every play, But they did a lot of good things. They put a lot of good things on tape that I think you could probably take away and uh, you know hope that they replicate throughout the rest of the season.
2: I had to chuckle when Jeremiah said that because, uh, as he mentioned, the legend Jim Hawkins, uh, the shooter (laughs) extraordinaire. um, I know that his sons listen to this, and I think Jim does too. But I did have a conversation with Jim recently, and he's told me, and I don't think this um, is—I don't think I'm giving away too many state secrets—that if Carolina. Can get eight or nine sacks every game, he likes their chances. Um, so I think that would wouldn't that be like a <laughs> hundred? Like, if they, what if they got 8 it'd be 96, maybe. Um, so anyway, <laughs> anyway yeah, it's, right, uh, right, that's a, a nugget to keep your eye on. Uh, if they can get to a um, hundred, eight or nine sacks a game that, that some of the veterans like their chances.
3: Hey man, look, if, if if North Carolina can get eight to nine sacks per game, they should probably just stay in Bank of America Stadium and, and play the rest of the and play the rest of the uh NFL season. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like Brian Burns is holding out, right? I mean, just tell him to keep
2: holding
1: out. Speaking of Brian Burns, I just drafted him late in my fantasy draft and I just got my report card, A plus draft. Did you really? Okay. Um A plus. A plus draft grade. I you know, and it's a defensive player draft too, so I was just You know, if the rankings are right, then I'm going to be great. Uh, Adam, one thing about this that I saw out there, and it was interesting on Monday is Mac pointed out a lot of things they did wrong. Um, and then you see them still play like that, still win like that. That game could have been just as bad as the Florida State LSU game was easily, um, but Mac focused on some of the things they need to clean up. Chiswick definitely did. Yeah. First thing uh, Lindsey mentioned was you can't have those two interceptions. I mean, North Carolina won a game that they never would have won last year, and they won it playing maybe their B, maybe a B-minus game if you listen to the coaches on Monday. Your thoughts there, I think that bodes as well as anything for the season, people are asking, "Are we changing our predictions?" Well, I had them beating South Carolina anyway, so I'm not changing anything yeah, at this I point. Think I had them
2: ten and two. I mean, yeah. Um, I guess what happened in Durham last night might affect some of that. But wow, yeah. what a
1: game, too! But yeah, th- the coaches were happy, but they wanted to keep it even keel because they they've realized in the past that the hype train has gotten to this team. <laughs> I think.
2: Yeah, I think. Well, I think. Offensively, you know, uh well, just you look at the way Florida State ended that LSU game where they just put the hammer down and absolutely flattened them. You know, UNC, I was just looking at it. the last last touchdown they scored was with six and a half minutes left in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. And then they hadn't punted by that point. Uh and Drake May hadn't thrown an interception by that point. And, you know, the rest of their possessions from from the moment they went up, I think it was thirty-one fourteen that they went up. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. uh, there were two Drake picks. Ben Kernan, you know, dusted himself off and started punting in the fourth quarter. And that was one of the things to, to what you're saying there, Tommy, is that, that Mac pointed to, he said, you know, we didn't finish on offense. I think they certainly finished on defense, the way they hounded Rattler and closed that thing out. But, yeah, like, you know, you you certainly feel like there are another level, maybe several different levels this offense could take it to. Um God, with what British Brooks showed, and you know Drake Drake May didn't have arguably. I think it's pretty much the consensus didn't have his two best receivers out there. Um, you know, I think that yeah, you scored thirty one points in a neutral site game where what it was maybe a seventy thirty crowd split against you, against an s c c team. I know that's not Alabama or Georgia, but it's still a team that's you know beat you the last time that you were down there and humbled you the last time that you were in that in that position. So. I think I think there's plenty what plenty of meat left on the bone offensively yeah. to to make improvements and see how much better they can even be.
4: Or put a different way, I think that type of performance is sustainable throughout an entire season. When you dominate the line of scrimmage, I mean something Tommy, you talked about it all off season. This upcoming year for UNC football would be defined by how the offensive and defensive lines played. And on Saturday against South Carolina those lines dominated for UNC. And I think because of that, it's a sustainable performance. If you can consistently hold teams to negative two rushing yards or whatever it was, you can consistently run the ball. You can consistently control the clock. I think that is something, especially in the first half that UNC did a really good job of. It was a methodical approach moving down the field, maybe a little bit less explosive without Tez Walker, but still methodical and moving the chains, getting first downs, controlling the, the game. And that type of performance is sustainable throughout the rest of the season. So I think that is another major positive sign for North Carolina moving forward. They won, they dominated, but it, it wasn't a fluke either. They they dominated on the scoreboard and on, on some of the stat lines that matter, like, like run defense.
2: Real quick on here, just to add to that, it's interesting that John mentions the, the minus two rushing yards, which, I mean, my God, that's, your eyes pop out of your head like a cartoon. Um, you know when Jeremiah and I and the rest of the IC crew left. I'm not sure what Tommy Ashley was doing that time of night in Charlotte, but
1: you don't want to know. Uh
2: When we left the press box, <laughs> South Carolina officially had rushed for 11 yards for the game. I believe they had. I've got the I've got the old school like box score. They had South Carolina for 11 total rushing yards, and Spencer Radler having lost 49 yards. Well, at some point. Between Saturday night and Monday, the 11 total rushing yards became negative two. So I guess I don't know if they went back and watched the film and both sides agreed on it. Because if you check South Carolina's site, it has negative two now too in addition to UNC's site. I don't know if maybe some stat crew member didn't plug in the right thing. But Spencer Rattler now is credited well, credited, charged with having lost 65 yards. And when we went out of there the other night, I think he was uh, he was 16 more yards to the good. So uh th- it was 11 rushing yards at the time. We talked to the players after, and now it's it's minus two. Kind of a weird little thing that happened there.
1: Yeah, and I'm looking at stat broadcast and in the final book, and it still has 11 for South Carolina. It has Rattler 12 attempts for minus five yards. I'm not quite sure how everything's kept. I mean, I don't I don't like sack yardage going against uh, rushing true. yardage. Anyway, yeah. that's a that's a different thing to talk about. Um Let's let's talk about this briefly and G Dixon in the chat and, and I've got an opinion and Jeremiah wants yours as well. He he asked should have called time timeout with one fifteen left in the first half to give Drake a chance. Here's my thought, and I think Mac spoke to it at, at uh on Topo the other night or mm-hmm. last night. But I heard it but I didn't really hear it. My thought is they've played too well to screw up being leading at half. and he wanted to one hundred percent make sure they were leading going into that half. Now everybody in the world's like, you got to give Drake May a shot and put the game away, blah blah blah. But I think that was a major mindset. You want to have that momentum going into the half, and that's my take on that. Jeremiah, go ahead. I certainly hear you, but I disagree, and I'm going to disagree for this reason. Mac
3: Brown said also after the game that he knew South Carolina was going to go onside. He knew they were going to try to get that extra possession. So when so when I look at it, and it definitely makes sense. You don't want to, you know, mess around and fumble the ball. You don't want to, whatever. But you know South Carolina is going to try and kind of get that extra possession in there. That's what they do, special teams. They're going to pull every trick out of the hat or whatever. So to me, 106 is plenty of time to force a punt. Um, they praised Elijah Huzzy's. Uh, punt coverage uh, or or his ability to kind of field those, those catches. Um, So I think you probably would have been in decent field position to at least try something. I was a little surprised. I was in the press box. I think I was talking to Adam and I was just kind of like, you know, why don't you call a timeout in this situation? Um, So I think, I think that's an extra opportunity. But again, they talked about, you know, leaving points on the table and you just heard Adam say that they probably have more meat on the bone as a, as an offensive team. I think those are moments right there where you say, you know, we're putting the hammer down like how Florida state put the hammer down against LSU. That's where North Carolina needs to get, you know, Mm -hmm. part of part of why they didn't get there was late turnovers. If you want to bring up the last, you know, not calling a timeout in the end of the second, at the end of the first half, that's valid as well. So, you know, they scored 31 points. They probably could have scored 42, 43 points, maybe. I mean, they failed a fourth down. Uh, you know, at one point of the at one point of the game as well. That you know probably could have tacked on a few more a few more points as well. So um, that's I think where and when you hear you know the players today talking about not being satisfied, not be, that's I think that's some of the stuff they're talking about. You know, there's there's opportunity. Like we won, you know, we were good. I think they were really good, but they want to get to a point where they're great. And to be great, you have to stack performances on that. I don't need to coach speak, but. You do have to do that. Like, you do have to score 30-whatever a game. You do have to hold teams to less than 20 if you can. You know, it, it'll be tougher. It'll be tougher in, I think, certain aspects of their schedule. But those are the things you're going to have to do week after week.
1: Yeah, I mean, you get out and you sling it around. Um, but, you know, I'd be lying if I – when Drake threw two interceptions back-to-back back in the second half, I didn't think back to that first half and where they didn't call a timeout and thinking, what if he'd have done that then mm-hmm. South Carolina scores, they go up in half. we can, what if it the death bottom line is North Carolina played well. If, if there were anything that, that caught my eye negatively in this game, it was the way the offense didn't finish. I sort of asked Lindsay that because Mack went in on Lindsay and the offense, just like he used to do last year with Longo, you know, saying, I'm disappointed the office, not finishing. Um, But they got to figure out how to run the football. They've talked all offseason, run the football when they want to run the football, and the other team knows you're going to run the football. That was a prime example of it. That's why I think the win is even more impressive, um, an even more impressive performance by the defense, because a game like that last year never shakes out the way it did with the defense just continually stepping up, stepping up, and making those sacks. And shout out to Gregory Hall. His prediction might be two years too late. Uh, We'll find out about Dez Evans. John B., what you got?
4: I want to cue up this segment here. Before we turn the page on South Carolina, I want to give all four of us the chance to kind of empty the notebook. For Adam, I know it's probably a physical notebook because I know you like to take notes. But anything else that we covered or that you didn't get to cover in one of your stories, I'll I'll go first to lead us off. Um, I think one thing that stood out for me, especially being in the stadium in Charlotte, was the leadership on this team uh, late in the second half. I forget exactly what drive it was, but Safkaran was driving. And I saw Elijah Huzzy in the secondary kind of like rallying the troops a little bit, kind of getting the secondary on the same page. There was nobody hanging their head uh, throughout the entire game on the defensive side. I think when I look back on the 2015 team, everyone who's in, in the chat knows about that 2015 team, how well they played, I think one thing that stood out about that team is how great leadership they had at all the different position groups. They had Landon Turner on the offensive line. They had Marquise in the quarterback room on and on and on, but every position group had a great leader. And I'm starting to see that a little bit with this team. You look at Huzzy in the secondary Sed gray at the linebacker group came Rucker on the defensive line, Corey Gaynor on the offensive line. It feels like every position group has a leader and Mac Brown talks a lot about player-led teams. I think that's something that we might see play out throughout this season with North Carolina. That's my game one, empty the notebook. Tommy, going to you next, empty the notebook. On uh, all your podcasts and your shows, what did you not get to talk about for this game?
1: Man, I was hoping you'd go to somebody else. You caught me off guard. Because um, I was trying to keep up with my notebook here. <laughs> I, I mean, my takeaway was that I thought Kobe Pesor would be the guy. And when you look at it, he ultimately had the one deep ball. Um, The one thing that was impressive to me, and I mentioned them going into the game, is two players. I mentioned Gavin Blackwell. And he had two bad drops. First one, questionable, contested or whatever. Second one can't happen, even if it wasn't a great throw. But the fact that Drake kept going back to him. How many times have we seen guys, and and a guy that plays for USF now, Choffrey Brown, who had a long touchdown this past weekend he had some drops and he never saw it again and and Drake goes right back to Blackwell in a big play and then the second person I wanted to talk about and I really wanted to ask it yes Monday Marcus Allen we didn't hear his name once and that's a great thing for a cornerback Adam were you expecting that at all from Marcus Allen of course you know Leggett had 100 and some odd yards on Holloway but Marcus Allen just by not being in the game or, or mentioned in the game I think had a great game
2: yeah I mean he you know he took the they didn't throw at him <laughs> they didn't test him at all I don't know if they wanted to repeatedly test on Holloway but uh they did not throw at Marcus Allen if if I'm giving my answer shaking out the notebook it's going to be you know i I would say, John, I would say that we covered everything coming out of there. I believe we had twelve stories <laughs> pieces of content on the site Sunday morning, so i'm gonna I'm gonna master the obvious here. um, I was thinking about going British Brooks just because of the emotion of British Brooks, which you don't see that from him uh, rarely ever um but I'm going to say Cayman Rucker, <laughs> I mean you know. Not only did he have a great game, he had a dominant game. I mean, he had a monster game. And the, the stuff that he was able to do, the sack numbers, the tackle for losses numbers, tackles for loss numbers, this is, this is what he did in 14 games last year for the season. He was just shy of his sack and TFL numbers in one night uh, to open the season. And, you know, we've always heard about how him and Tamari Fox are the two strongest guys on the team. and I just, I feel, I, I, am happy for a guy like Cayman Rucker, who has always been, um, just well liked among his teammates, uh, a quiet leader, someone who always does great. I was thinking about them singing "Happy Birthday" to DeAndre Boykins. Well, Cayman Rucker can sing his butt off. You know? <laughs> I mean, he is a fantastic singer, um, just a wonderful dude. And he went out there and wreaked havoc. And it's interesting when you're saying notebook. I looked at mine. First series of the game, South Carolina's got the ball. Third and 12. I have nine sidesteps 25 because Rucker was in there on third and 12, and he I thought he had Rattler for a sack, and Rattler got away from him. And when that happened in real time, I'm sitting there between Jeremiah and Evan, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be sort of a, a deja vu moment of Carolina – under Jay Bateman in 2021 and Chiswick in 2022. And they're going to get out of a sack and they're going to convert a long third down. And this drive is going to start moving. Rattler got away from him, but Elijah Hussey broke up the pass three and out. UNC has got the ball. Um, and I don't think Rucker missed much more after that. I just thought he was fantastic. And I think, I think he deserves all the flowers that he's getting this week for the way he played.
4: Yeah. I think the stats on Rucker, because I have him here, eight total pressures, Seven QB hurries, one sack, and six uh, tackles for loss. He was also the highest graded player on PFF for UNC's defense. Jeremiah, empty your notebook. You got a lot of empty pages, I'm sure, because you're just starting out here on the beat at UNC. But what's your final takeaways from the South Carolina game?
3: Yeah, I want to talk about the way Chip Lindsey called that game. Uh, That was his first game at UNC, obviously, as the offensive coordinator, and I believe I saw the stat. I wish I had the exact number, but I saw the stat. It was like his highest um, his highest points per game as an offensive coordinator prior to coming to UNC was still lower than what Phil Longo had last year. Um, so, you know, it's it's obviously, you know, different missions and things. It wasn't by much either for, for what it's worth. Um, I'm sitting there watching the game early on. They're going to the run a lot. They're going to Bridge Brooks a lot. Drake May was 10 for his first 10 passing. But it was a lot of short stuff. It was a lot of kind of screens, um, you know, working the tight end. Some um, I believe it was 73 yards in those first 10 complete passes. Um, I'm sitting there just wondering, and it's, it's early in the game, but I'm like, you know, surely one of these guys can break loose and and, and go. Do, I know it's not Tez Walker and, and, and Nate McCollum, your top two guys, but at the same time, it's like, you know, somebody's got to be able to, you know, Drake May, you at least got to give him a chance. And but obviously they did that. Um, we mentioned we mentioned Gavin Blackwell earlier. He had the two drops, but Drake had him for I'm going to call it an NFL touchdown, because if you know you do you get that in the NFL, you can kind of roll over and get over the goal <laughs> yeah. line and they call you down in college. Um, but then you had the one he was like, you know, off his back foot to Haber for the touchdown. And he had a few other deep shots. Um, he did have the one where he missed pace or so I don't know why I keep thinking about that one. But, I mean, you know, he eventually got paid to her later in the game. But the point being, I think Chip Lindsey called a patient game. And what I mean by that is he wanted to get everybody involved because he knows the guys who would get the majority of the targets in Tez Walker and Nate McCullum are out. So we have to keep everybody involved. That's probably part of the reason why you keep going to Blackwell, honestly, because after those two drops, um, your tight ends had three catches apiece. So Drake may completed, you know, 24 passes. Nine went to tight ends, just to cut, to put that in perspective. Pesor was your highest with seven. I don't think that was a surprise. Um, and then it kind of evened out from there. So um, I think he really did his best to try and get everybody involved offensively um, with the running game. Because, I mean, even Amari and Hampton, he ended up with 16 carries, if I remember correctly. So he tried, to, he did his best to get everybody involved, especially considering the situation. Um, if you do get Nate McCullen back this week, that's another piece that you can kind of add to that. We'll still see what happens with Tess Walker. But um, I think overall, you know, he definitely probably played his cards right. He played them also, uh, you know, the best that he probably could have in that first game.
1: You nailed it there. And, Adam, on the side chat, we talked all last year, just take the layups, just take the freebies. And Drake did it over and over, and then he mentioned it today. One thing before we get off this and, and move it along, how disrespectful – <laughs> was it that South Carolina took the ball after winning the toss? I mean, nobody does that. Everybody defers. South Carolina said, we want the ball, and Carolina stood up, huzzy making two to three plays. Uh, very interesting night. What do we think about the rankings before we step off of this and come back after to talk about App State? I mean, they jumped off a lot. Of course, we knew Colorado would jump way up. <laughs> Adam, fair ranking or a little high at this point?
2: I mean, gosh, I I may be fully into the Kool-Aid, but um, <laughs> I mean, I, may, yeah, I have my merits cup right here. But, uh, you know, um, I think it's fair. My voice got really high there. Ross would have made fun of me that I went high. Uh, but, I mean, I saw someone that was a knowledgeable person, not a Yahoo, saying that, I can't remember who it is now, of course. <laughs> then the UNC looked like a fringe top 10 team. Um, I just, you know, you don't know how good or bad South Carolina is. I think this is a good UNC team. Um, you know, I, I don't know if what did, did Shotmer say that the ceiling now is 12 and 0? Um, but mm. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the ranking is fine. I mean, you know, it took them a while to break in last year, even though they, they started 3 and 0 when they lost in the Notre Dame game. That sort of dropped them down the national perception. And I can't, I, I need to look it up about when they broke back in. I think they didn't break back into the like 6 and 1, maybe. I think they had to win three more games right. after losing to Notre Dame to when they finally got in the poll. I, I remember that, well, I think they got to 13 last year, um, at least in the college football rankings before the Georgia tech debacle and the wheels fell off. So, I mean, I think 17 is fine. I mean, uh, you know, who knows? I don't think Clemson should be in (laughs) like they went from nine to 25. You know, I thought they looked like crap. Uh, (laughs) You know, I mean, I thought they looked terrible. Um, But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I have voted in the top 25 poll before, but I'm not voting this year. Um, So, I mean, I don't know. I think anywhere 15 to 20 is fine for UNC. I think they're certainly capable of, being deserving of that ranking but that's so early
1: um you know
2: i'm i'm not sure i didn't answer your question tommy i think it's fine how about that i think
1: i think it's fine works for me i'm i'm i don't like it because north carolina hadn't shown they can play with lofty expectations left of course app state coming to town will help jeremiah what do you think split the tie here (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna be completely honest
3: i am okay with the ranking but this this is my my contingency um I don't know if I froze for a second. My, my screen kind of went... You're good. Anyway, You're good. You're okay, good. All right, go here. Anyway, um, <laughs> I am okay with the ranking, but you have to imagine if they beat App State and Minnesota at home, the ranking's not going to go up so much. So, I, I mean, a four-spot jump, that's cool. I mean, a lot of the ranking is based on how the teams around you do as well. So, yeah, for example, when you have a team go from nine all the way down to 25, that at least moves you up one. So... It is what it is. But, you know, if they beat an App State, it's probably not going to move. And if they beat, unless they, you know, have a, you know, worldly all world game and if they beat uh, Minnesota, it might go up a little bit. So I'm OK with 17. I think that's probably fair ranking just based on the way they play. And, you know, we'll see how they perform if they get their top two guys back. You know, I think it all evens out. I think all things considered, it all evened out. 17 is probably about where they are.
2: Yeah, I mean and the I mean the thing is we it's we just had Labor Day. I mean, I, I, I think that there's a lot of volatility. I think in the in the basketball poll too. I think mean, there's just a lot of volatility in the early weeks where, you know, if you're a voter and you're like, oh my God, Clemson stinks, or oh my God, Texas Tech is great. I'm just, you know, make staying someone. Uh, you know, you I think there's a lot of movement happens to where you start before you start sort of getting your teams where you think they really belong. Um, so I think that's, I think that the first couple weeks you see these massive games and massive drops sometimes in the poll.
1: Yeah, it is interesting. Anybody that thought Colorado wasn't going to jump way up, (laughs) not been paying attention, And, and I think, personally, I think that's good for a team like North Carolina, because North Carolina can sort of fly, game day is one thing, it brings all the press and everybody, and everybody to the yard, but these next couple weeks, let Colorado suck all the air out of the discussion, let Carolina just go about their business in teams like that. Um, and Duke's a good football team, folks. We said that on the preseason shows and all that. Duke can play, and Riley Leonard's good. Clemson outgained them, did what they had to do or played well and just couldn't get it done. You know, 12-0, and I'm not there yet. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe if we get to uh, November – We'll get that way. Let me talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com, right quick. Sponsors of Inside Carolina. And if you're at the Inside Carolina tailgate show on Saturday in the bowls lot ahead of the App State game, we'll be broadcasting 2 to 4, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. ahead of a five fifteen kick. We'll have some Johnny T-Shirt swag out there. In addition to the Inside Carolina swag, we'll be tossing out. And when I say tossing out, literally, because we got footballs, throwing footballs with fans in the Frothy Beer Brewery parking lot, During the show, pregame show, and after the show, join us out there for Johnny T-Shirt swag. Go to Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street. Go to Johnny T-Shirt online. Support them. They support us. National Guys will pay the bills. It's on the beat live, September the 6th. Nope, September the 5th. Trying to kill us a day already. September the 5th, on the beat.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: App State comes to town. Jeremiah, I'll let you start this one because you weren't there in uh, Boone last year. You didn't live through that. You you saw it, I'm sure. You've seen some highlights. I can't explain the experience, so I'm going to let you start first. The importance of this game for North Carolina to stack those days that we've talked about on Saturday.
3: Yeah, quick little anecdote. App State, that was a game I didn't get to watch them for because – if I remember correctly, that would have been September 3rd of last year because uh, North Carolina would have played the, that would have been their second game. So they played a week zero game. So that right. was when South Carolina was opening. So I'm like half getting ready to go cover their night game and then half watching UNC. And then I'm just, I'm getting these updates on my phone. And then when I get to the press box, the score's in the 60s. You're like, what in the world? They're recovering <laughs> onside kicks and running the back. Um, 40 points in the fourth quarter, whatever. Um, back to the to the question. It's It's super important because App State at this point, it's almost a symbol, you know, like it it told the story so much last year of not only how the defense was viewed, but it was almost kind of emblematic. It's like, you know, you're giving up 61 points to no disrespect to App State, obviously, but to a sunbelt team. And it's like, you know, that's not what you kind of want. If you you know play in the ACC, you know, a league that has obviously had to see Clemson later on in the year. Like, you know, that's just not how you wanted to start off. So. I almost wonder how much, uh, you know, of a mental lift that would be to be the App State team that does have a new quarterback now, I guess, too, as a matter of fact. Um, but they still have a talented running back over there, you know, Nate Noel. He had 100-plus yards against you last year. He had 100-plus yards in the season opener this year against Gardner-Webb. Uh, when we were talking to Gene Shizik yesterday, he was saying that App State's not a team that's going to abandon the run. So South Carolina... Basically had to abandon the run. They don't have a real running game at this point of the season. Um, AB State is a team that has a little bit more of their identity is shaped around that running game. So run defense isn't something they had to super account for against South Carolina. So they're gonna have to, you know, place emphasis on that. You know, probably where they got sacks. They have and they have plenty of TFLs, don't get me wrong. But, you know, kind of where you had sacks and you had the productivity in the sack game, you're probably gonna want a lot of that in your you know in your run stoppage um so again to the point of stacking days the defense has to come out there and they have to force turnovers too i think that's the point i I didn't totally get to i meant to earlier um you're gonna need to be able to create turnovers i know you stopped a couple of fourth downs on saturday but you want to get those interceptions you want to force some fumbles get those extra possessions um especially you get a conference play but i think uh, a game like App State, that's a great opportunity to do that and to, you know, add that element and add that dynamic to your
1: defense. Adam, it, it is App State. there? Um, it's in Chapel Hill. How, how good is it for North Carolina to have this game now instead of another, you know, school not named App State or, or not a big-name school? Because they played well against South Carolina, you want to continue that. I would think App has their full attention no matter what the prognosticators say about App State um, coming into the year. Chiswick was all about it. They're all, Mac was all about it. I think it's a good matchup for North Carolina, not just on the field, but having them for the mind too as well to get ready for it.
2: Absolutely. And, I, you know, the players today, you know, the different guys we talked to, some of the defensive guys came in rucker. Elijah Huzzy wasn't even here last year, but he said he hit – been he had been briefed fully <laughs> on, you know, the debacle in Boone. Um, and, you know, I think that, to your point, I think that maybe I'll try to write this later this week for Countdown for Kickoff. I, I don't think they lack for any motivation. I don't think that there's any sort of um, coasting when you turn the corner off of that great season opening performance, by and large, great season, or at least good. And then you got this App State thing happening where, You know, they played them four years ago and apps came into Keenan and beat them. Uh, And then last year, obviously, was – I mean, last year was – Mac used the word laughingstock um, for what UNC's defense became nationally. And, you know, it was in that noontime slot. It was really week one for everyone else um, because, as Jeremiah mentioned, Carolina played that week zero game. And, what, UNC was up, what, two scores, three scores? I feel like it was 41-20. I could be wrong about that. And then, I mean, when it's forty points in the fourth quarter, I think it was over six hundred total yards that they gave up. Chase Bryce is like twenty eight years old, isn't he? He was in college. <laughs> the guy was in college forever. I mean, he backed up Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> that's right, that's right. He backed up Trevor Lawrence. Um, okay, Slagle's got forty one twenty four, something like that, wasn't it? Wasn't it like?
1: They were anyway. up. Yeah, they were up big going into the fourth quarter.
2: Yeah, Tommy, we should do a separate show on your experience that day. Would you like <laughs> no, to No, we, we
1: probably don't need to discuss that. Uh, experience uh, in the, <laughs> in the,
2: in the uh, kid Brewer Stadium crowd.
1: I can uh, honestly say that it is a very fun environment now. Yeah, I mean, just,
2: <laughs> just, it was awesome. And, you know what, Cedric Gray got that interception in the third quarter and the place started emptying. People were leaving. You know, we were watching them walk out. And – uh then they came back, you know. But I mean, it was it was so unbelievable, and I think that I think that if you're a, a Carolina coach or a Carolina veteran, you're pointing to that and saying, "Look, this is what everyone thought of us after this game." Mac accurately said back then, "Like we will never recover statistically from this. The stats are gone because we'd we'll never get it back." And he was right, um, but yeah, I think that. I think that, hey, it's your home opener for UNC. I personally, I hope I've been wrong before. I think UNC is going to beat them pretty bad. But And I think that even after nine sacks and even after 16 tackles for losses, I think this defense is hungry to, like, just sort of erase all those things that have been said about the UNC defense. You know, what? the narrative going into this season was Drake May did all these things in spite of the UNC defense. Mm -hmm. They won nine games in spite of the defense. ACC championship game in spite of the defense, you know what? Corey Gaynor said it today, Jeremiah. I didn't. He's like, if you'd been told how much you suck at your job for mm-hmm. eight months, you wouldn't like that. I mean, i I think that's a direct quote. He said, yep. if you suck at your job. Um, and he plays offense, Yeah. You know? So <laughs> I think that again, I think there's no lacking for motivation, even though you're playing a group of five team. I mean, it's an in-state rivalry. It's a team that's giving you fits and, uh, uh, I, I, I personally feel like UNC is going to play well.
4: To that point, Adam, I'm old enough to remember the 2019 game as well uh, <laughs> when UNC job. lost. Uh, and we talk about this a lot, uh, this <laughs> program building model of lose big, lose close, win close, win big. I feel like that's one of the themes potentially of this season is Mac Brown plays a few of these opponents a few, a few times now. South Carolina is one of them. App State's another one. You can literally prove your program building by playing App State three times in five years, and you can show that progress. So they had the lose close in 2019. That was a, a close game, a weird game. Last year's game was a win close. That was a very weird one. I think it is time to win big against App State. Again, to kind of prove that and put that on the map. And one more point about App State, I think it is important to, to point this out. Uh, their quarterback is Joey Aguilar. Apologize if I mispronounced that. Uh, he is a Diablo Valley Community College uh, transfer. Yep. Um, so they are down their starting quarterback this week. Uh, he 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 threw pretty well. Uh, it's funny. I was trying to find YouTube clips from this game. It was very hard to find. I was worried that the game wasn't televised or something. You know, I was putting it in the search bar on YouTube, just trying to find any highlights. I ended up finding it on ESPN. Um, but I think this guy, you know, he threw four touchdown passes, I think in week one, he did. Um, but he is a, uh, you know, maybe a, a nice way to say it would be an under-recruited uh, prospect at the quarterback position for App State. It'll yeah. be his first start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think,
1: I think North Carolina's motivation and focus, will learn a lot about that and about the ability of guys to get up after an emotional game, because, This game shouldn't be close, no disrespect to App State, but this game is one that North Carolina needs to put it together. And, Jeremiah, I I want you to sort of expound a little bit more on the defensive performance. I mean, when you have 9 and 16, Mm -hmm. what is success the following week? What does that even look like? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, because if you back up in the numbers against an App State team, people are going to say, oh, maybe they're not as good. I don't believe that, but. How, what does North Carolina – when we are talking about this on Sunday and you guys are writing game stories on Saturday night, how, how did the success look for North Carolina other than getting the win?
3: Man, I mean, it's funny. I actually asked Kamen Rucker earlier today. I'm like, I know nine sacks isn't going to be the number, but, like, what is replicable, replicable from what you guys did? Um, and I, I think a lot of kind of what he was saying was – you know, just the approach that he had. I, I mean, I was watching, I, mean, I, I asked him actually post game on Saturday, you know, what kind of led to his performance? Like, was there something in the film that you guys saw that you felt you could exploit? And so he was kind of talking about, you know, the way some of the offensive linemen were kind of stanced and lined up. And that's kind of how he was able to him and the rest of his team were kind of able to get some of the sacks that they got Um, to me. Success isn't going to necessarily be the nine sacks. If You get four or five sacks. I, th- I would mark that up as a good day as far as getting to the quarterback, too. But to me, it's just did you get to the quarterback? You know, like, did you make life difficult on uh on Joy Aguilar? If, if that's who rolls out there, like. You know, is that or even if I take uh, a guy like Nate Noel, um, who, again, had a really good game last year and in the season opener. You know, are you forcing negative plays on him? Are you backing up the offense? You know, is that something you can do? And, you know, a lot of the reasons why UNC was able to control the clock against South Carolina. It's not just the number of sacks they had. It's the fact that they were getting back there and they were able to kind of stop what they were doing. It's so funny because, as I mentioned, App State is honestly, a team with a better run game than South Carolina. So that's just a different thing you have to account for. So just based off of that, you know, you're not going to get, you know, like maybe this is a prediction. I don't know. But no, I don't expect 16 tackles for losses just because of the fact that this is a better running team. Um, But again, it's just your approach. Like, are you doing the same things technique wise? Like, you know, the way that you were able to look at South Carolina and exploit their weaknesses, you're going to have to essentially do the same thing. Just what are the weaknesses in App State's line that you can exploit or even just the way that they like to run the ball? Um, so, and I think from a, you know, just one last thing before I, before I close it out, um, you know, I think in the passing game, obviously, you know, uh, you know, the backup was very efficient with his passing. Uh, I know Xavier LeGette, you know, hadn't typically been a, a dominant player for South Carolina, but, you know, he was just about as dominant as he'll ever be in that first game. I don't know that App State has a player that is going to produce that type of game. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that that secondary did have its first look without Boykins, without, uh, you know, without uh, uh, Boykins being back there, um, that kind of also gives you a little bit of a blueprint, too, to say, hey, you know, this is how much we want Huzzy back here in the Stars. This is how much we want him up front, you know, and, and, and things like that. So, you know, that was a little bit long-winded. But, you know, overall, I would just say, you know, Just how can you exploit the weaknesses in App State's offensive scheme? I think that's probably how you'll find success. Not necessarily the number, but just how you exploit the weaknesses.
2: Real quick point I was thinking about as Jeremiah was laying that out very nicely. I think if you're a UNC football fan, let's, you know, take a day here. You know, whether it's today, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Go to NCAA.com and just sort of breathe it in. Because (laughs) last year, UNC finished the season number one twenty-eight. In sacks, in sack rate, out of 131 FBS teams, they were third from the bottom. Right now, if you go over there, right now, the UNC football par Heels are number one in the country in sacks. I mean, it's hard to beat nine sacks. I think I think two other teams, maybe maybe I think SMU, future ACC <laughs> backyard rival SMU. I think it's SMU and Marshall. Maybe I don't know. I got the tab somewhere. Um, yeah, SMU and Marshall at seven. Stanford, uh, another uh, ACC legend at six. So weird to think about it, It's It's unbelievable. <laughs> Wait till we cover the games. <laughs> like, I know. But, you know, just, hey, go over there. Take a look. Number one is by North Carolina's name. And last year you had to tab over a whole bunch of different pages to get to where UNC was, and it was not pretty. So, you know, for one week, the Tar Heels are on top of
1: the heat. Kind of hard to believe. I mean, it's honestly, crazy. it it is, Uh, and it speaks to a lot uh, about the work that these guys did, the, the the coaching. You know, I asked Mac, how much of it was the coaching, the preparation that you guys put in, and how much was it the kids just saying, or the players just saying, damn it, I'm tired of it. Right. You know, and I think it was a, a lot of both, and it really showed their self. Anything else, John, before I get into some of these questions on the chat? Because I got one for you.
4: Oh, man. I want to pull up the first question here. I think this is a funny one. John should uh, (laughs) sing the UNC fight song since he picked South Carolina. If we set that precedent now, I might be singing a lot this season. So we can't start this after every single missed pick of mine. Uh, I was wrong. I did not think UNC would beat South Carolina. I think when I think about my picks, because this is another one we could kind of talk a little bit about. Have you changed your expectations for the team after the South Carolina game? I think I I have, and I think when I was making some of the picks for the season, I think I was over-indexing on last year's team, because I don't think last year's team, which, as we just talked about, did not have a pass rush, which did not tackle very well. I don't think last year's team wins against South Carolina last Saturday, but this year's team did. This is a different team, so I think the expectations have changed a little bit. Let's get into some of these questions Tommy, do we want to pull up a different one or pull up a, a question? Can again?
1: I ask you a question? Can I quote yeah. Dion Sanders? De- you don't. You didn't believe. You I, don't believe.
4: I and and I was wrong. I own don't, that. I fully. I fully own that. John, what did you have for your season prediction? I had eight and four, which is okay. it's not horrific or anything, um, but I him. think that you know the ceiling. I agree with Shotmer. Maybe not to the extent, but I think the ceiling changed for this team given how they played on Saturday. Uh, And I think that the challenge, obviously, against App State, is continue to prove that. uh, It should prove that that's the level of play, uh, that this is a new team that the team has turned over from last season.
1: So a couple of those out of the questions, a couple of people, Cecil Woodard asked that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll knock those off. Let's go. I
2: had eight and four too, didn't you, Jeremiah? I sure did. Are you you thinking about Mm – Maybe bumping that up to nine or ten.
3: Yeah, you know, there was one point where I was thinking about it, and I was like, I had already sent my game by game to Tommy, so I was just like, yeah. I'm gonna just like ride it out, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, so they they might be a nine, might be a niner
1: for sure. <laughs> uh, this this might be one of the um, come on, man, comments of the weekend. How yeah, do we funny. match up against Florida State? They look weak, uh, that's awesome. unless you were talking about. You know, unless Fayetteville State played or Fordham, <laughs> Fordham State or somebody, because the Seminoles did not look weak. They look elite. They yeah. Florida
4: State looks like a college football playoff team. They look really, really good.
1: I saw a yeah. I saw a tweet that said uh, Cypress from Virginia, best defensive back from Virginia, plays for Florida State. Yep. Coleman, Michigan right. State plays for State. A couple of other of those guys. I mean, they loaded up on the portal. Best team money can buy. Jason Staples, I said it. Hey, but it's it's in the rules now. So I
2: was telling Evan and Jeremiah today. I have to. I vote on those ACC players of the week. And there's a little like website you go to, and it lists off each nominee for each for each position. And you can click a little button, and it'll sort of give you a little. Description of what that person did, if you want to sort of compare. When I got to receiver, I did not click any descriptions on anyone. I just hit Deion Coleman, submit. I mean, there was no – I didn't need to read anything on anyone else on that. That was a pretty quick quick uh, click for me.
1: Jordan Travis stays healthy. That team's going to be tough to beat. Let's see Slagle's question. Inside Carolina, does your perception change of the defensive performance after hearing Rucker say they basically knew what South Carolina was running or throwing? Uh, You still got to do it. And it changes for the better for me because how many times have we seen the Carolina defense, A guy say that, you know, Mm -hmm. most of the time that we've seen over the past few years, no disrespect to the players playing it, but they're standing around with their hands up not knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. And now you've got a situation where they game plan, they studied film, they did everything they need to do. And if you know what's coming, sure it's easier to stop. But you got to know it, and that's not easy to know. And the South Carolina twenty-four-seven boards—I think the big spur board—blew up, ripping their own team about it, which I thought was hmm. quite hilarious. Uh, everybody's been stealing signs since the day, since the dawn of time. But if you can get a tell on a player, or or a group of players, or a quarterback, or whatever, and exploit it, that's the way to go. That's a hundred percent the way to go. Alan Mullenix. Adam, this might be your genius oh, numbers. When was the last time UNC defeated an SEC team by double digits? Jeez,
2: I should know that. We um, got the media guy around here somewhere. That's a great, John. Kim, I was going to tell John to look up where Diablo Community College is because I was thinking that it has to be quite a transition to go from Diablo to Boone, but maybe it's, I'm uh,
4: Central California. I know that one. It's gotta God. be in the desert, right? Inland
2: Empire type yeah. situation. Sounds right?
4: like close to uh, San Francisco. <laughs> oh, not well, the so
1: Northern
2: California then. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I got I don't have anything on that. I should know that. I should have uh, we should have scoured the record books for that after Saturday night's game.
1: Doug Olgasby asks, and and you can take this, Jeremiah. How many running backs are as patient as British Brooks? Sometimes I'm like go, go, go. He usually makes the right choice. I think it was the Wildcat fourth oh, down. Um, there was some angst, like, w- what are mm-hmm, we doing, man? Mm-hmm. Step on it. And he gained four or five or six yards. Yeah. Uh, if anything, and, and somebody sort of tried to compare Brooks to Omarion Hampton on the message boards. And I said, you got to remember, this is a six year guy versus a sophomore. Uh, but Brooks, I think I was hesitant to think Brooks would be the number one running back this year, mm-hmm. to be honest. He, he certainly looks, Jeremiah, that if he stays healthy, he's that guy. He, he is that guy for this team.
3: Yeah, I want to – real quick, this is this is relevant. I want to confess to the chat that I'm a, a Baltimore Ravens fan, which means I had to watch Le'Veon Bell in his prime uh, twice a year. <laughs> so that dude used to be that. I don't know if there was a more patient running back than him. He used to just sit behind the line, get six yards. That was his whole career. Um, but I'm glad you brought up the wildcat play because I – When I saw that, that's immediately what I thought about. Um, You know, he just kind of sat there, waited for the blocks in the hole to develop. And then that's kind of when he took it. Um, I thought every um, inclination we got from training camp was that he was the most complete back on the team. Um, I know me and Adam, you know, had kind of been hearing that he'd probably be the number one guy out there to start. Um, I was thinking coming out of camp, it probably would be Brooks and Hampton would probably be the top two guys just because of the uh you know physicality that Hampton does have the ability to play with. He didn't have the most efficient yards per game, uh, or yards per carry, I'm sorry, in that first game, but he did have the two touchdowns. But <laughs> all Browns. Hey, God bless you, brother. But um <laughs> but I, I think with I think with British just you know, early on in the game, like you said, this is a six-year guy. He knows you know where things are going to develop he knows kind of how to read blocks and things like that so um I think that's a great value to this team what they're doing he caught I think he caught three passes on uh on on Saturday as well so this is just a guy that can you know do a lot of things for this offense And I think that that opens up and don't forget he was supposed to be RB1 last year um you know kind of coming off of his Dukes Mayo Bowl and then he gets the injury so I mean you know Um, I think him being back healthy
1: is a big asset for the team. Uh, Here you go. Here's one for Adam. And I know the answer here because I remember what he said last year or or in the spring. How would you get Gaynor to do an interview? He he had no desire to talk to the media last year. And I thought his response um, when we did get to talk to him earlier in the year was pretty interesting. Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, he said, I was a new guy. I didn't need to be the guy talking. I was new here. Um. Now this year, I feel like I'm, I'm more in that role. This guy right here, though, Gainer, Corey Gainer, is probably one of the big-time leaders or is the big-time leader for that North Carolina offense. And his quarterback loves him. Adam, what do you think of Gainer when he, when he does talk to you guys?
2: How about how about our guy Matt Bunn in the chat? I was trying to look it up uh, on the SEC thing. I was like, well, the music, I know the Music City Bowl was not a, you know, it was, <laughs> you remember they're throwing beer? What, uh, yeah, really. that was wild. Uh, I, I was like, I, I know the music city bowl in 2010 was not um, a double digit situation, but it looks like 1995 against Arkansas. My word, that's
4: that's the same one I found. I was looking it up as well. Yeah, that was
1: a bowl. Was that a bowl game?
4: Yes, the Car Quest bowl.
1: Yes, I remember that.
2: Oh my god, so that was in Charlotte, right? Then the Car Quest. The no, I
1: think it was Florida back then, it and was then Miami Key Florida. took over. Oh, yeah. that's
2: my bad. I'm sorry. Well, I guess Miami Key Tire Bowl was well yeah. before they changed it. Anyway, yes, Corey Gaynor. Well, so we got Corey. We got to talk to Corey Gaynor this spring for the first time ever in person. We talked to him over Zoom. You know, when he transferred, and then we did not talk to him the entire season last year. And I, I was, I was efforting to. <laughs> talk to him before they played Miami, because it's like, God, this guy played, uh, you know, what, five years, five years at Miami, and they're going back there. Understandably, he did not want to talk that week, but he never talked. And we talked to him this spring for the first time, and we talked to him in camp, uh, you know, and, and then we got him again today. And I enjoy talking to the dude. I mean, obviously, he's seen it all. He's uh, pretty funny. You know, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw – the, the shirt that he had, I made a quick post on the message board today. A trench mob shirt uh, for Corey Gaynor on the front. Uh, RTDB for run the damn ball. The, the <laughs> Randy Clements uh, mantra. Um, but he's he's very enjoyable. I, I think he has unbelievable perspective from having played. Who's played more games than Corey Gaynor? You Oops. know? Uh, I mean, goodness. The
1: receiver for State, maybe, that's in his eighth year. But Gaynor's in his seventh, so...
2: Right. What the dude, the transfer from Rice, is that the guy you're talking yeah. about? Played um, three
1: years somewhere and played four at Rice, and now he's at state and he's eligible. Anyway.
2: But yeah, he's he's just Tommy and Jeremiah have been there. I'm sure John's listened to the radio to the interviews and you, you
1: it's enjoy you
2: know, he he's an enjoyable dude to talk to. He has great perspective. You can tell that even when he's showered and just hanging out on a day where they don't have class, that he's still sort of has that edge to him where he's always kind of wanting to hit somebody and play. You know, you just feel like there's an edge to him when he talks. Um, you know, about just whatever. You know, wanting to get back after it. So uh, I don't know if we did it any convincing. Maybe we have to shout out our guy Jeremy Sharp over at UNC football for uh, for for bringing him along for nurturing uh, Corey Gaynor into our midst. But we we always enjoy talking to him.
1: Definitely a fun guy to talk to. I mean, he's grown. It's different when you talk to a guy that's twenty three, twenty four to to an eighteen, nineteen year old. A couple of these little questions, Brian Evans, shout out. We uh, Adam acknowledged this earlier. Don't know what Carolina's got until after the pit game. I think that's accurate.
2: Yeah, I think that's. I think that's spot on there, Brian Evans. Good call, guy. Yep.
1: Carolina ninety three. I want my name back. That's my gamer tag. If anybody wants a piece of me on uh, Xbox or PlayStation. If Hardy comes back, could he possibly move Chapman to star allow Huzzy back to corner? I don't know about that. Uh, I, th- I think I think the other question that somebody asked that I thought I had, um, somebody mentioned DJ Jones get up and running at star and allow uh, Huzzy to move back to corner. I think Carolina did move Huzzy back to corner late mm-hmm. um, at the very end to get some of that going on. There's the question from M Cam. Stay at star. Does DJ Huzzy's too good? Um, anywhere you put him, he would be very tough on corner. But he's football I think player. They
2: like him too much. I think you know. You listen to Chiswick talk about. I mean, they just talk about what a good football player he is. And I think that's one of the reasons they moved him. They feel like he can sort of plug in and do whatever. So I don't. I don't think. I think that would be a great luxury to have if you got DJ up to up to a level at star to where you can send. Huzzy back a corner and imagine him and Marcus Allen, uh, the book end corners or, you know, opposite sides. But I think, I think you're going to see Elijah Huzzy at star for a good long while.
1: Uh, first hit of the game. Oh, he was yeah. dancing. Yeah. yeah. It was just like, what are we doing? This is not, a, we have not seen this. <laughs> he comes up, and makes a tackle for a loss yeah. on the first play. Uh, let's see. Uh, they released the depth chart, Petaway White on the running back depth chart. He's on the slot depth chart. Pat McAfee question. Elijah Green, same deal. I mean, they've got such a loaded room. Here's an interesting.
4: Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tommy.
1: Let me get this one, and then uh, you stole what I was doing. This is what I want. Tyler Godwin asks, final decision on Tez come this Thursday. I would strongly suggest you go read Greg Barnes' article on the Tez Walker situation. In fact, if I can, I will link it in the chat. Uh, Greg just, you know. Greg Barnes is like a a prosecutor. You don't want them on your tail. And and when Greg gets on a story, he nails it. Go read this article. I'll throw it in the chat. If you haven't read it, it tells you everything you need to know about the Tails Walker situation other than the decision these people are going to make. It'll tell you about the decisions they've made before Thursday. Um, And and so that might shape your thoughts on the – on the thing here or, you know, what ultimately happens. But Greg is all over it there. All right, John, I'm sorry. You can steal the Pat McAfee one.
4: I think there's good place to, to end tonight. Cause just last week on the show, the question I posed to Adam and Jeremiah was what does it take to take advantage of Drake Mays most likely final season here in Chapel Hill. And all three of us talked about marquee moments. Well, how about in week one college game days in town, Lee Corso puts on a North Carolina head, uh, the Ramsey's <laughs> head, which is uh, quite the visual, quite quite a uh, quite a sight to see. And then North Carolina goes out in prime time on national television and and delivers. I think that is a great start for the North Carolina football program. A great way to capitalize on Drake May's senior, or not his senior, but his his potentially his final season, and also you know just an exciting time for North Carolina football fans. I think the Atmosphere. Kamari Morales alluded to it as in his interview today. He's hoping for a big atmosphere for UNC's first home game of the season. Uh, so inside Carolina, will be there to cover it. Adam and Jeremiah, what's the, the coverage plan for this weekend? Are you both going to be in the press box?
2: Absolutely, Johnny. We're going to be in every press box, baby. Yes, like
1: it. <laughs> what's your favorite press box, Adam?
2: Huh. You know what? They serve um, – That's how. what a fat sports writer do I sound like. I was going right to the food. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> have... just a old piece of crap. They serve clam chowder in the Boston College press box. Ooh. And it is delicious. Nice. Um, but you know, I, I'm not trying to, to side with with you know a, a rival. It is if you catch the schedule right, like last year, and you go to Charlottesville for a game at UVA, it's an open air press box to where you're I mean, you're outside. They I mean you have like a place to sit and everything. But it can be quite if you get if you get the weather right. It can be it can be quite lovely uh, at UVA, Georgia Tech, at Bobby Dodd's in open air too. But it just which is cool you can see sort of the skyline of Atlanta and everything as you all know. But um, I don't know I don't know why Boston College Boston College they got some great food there. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll go clam chowder.
1: Uh, uh, Slagle's telling me not to stay it, but a couple times back in the day when I uh, I covered a while back, NC State had better food than Carolina. <laughs> I mean they just did. And uh but anyway, yeah
2: really that, high up at NC State. It's like you're you know Yeah, I don't
1: I don't I did not, you know, really like the vantage point and all that, but the yeah. food especially yeah. So anyway, Jeremiah, uh close I'll let you close us out. I I'll let you find, you know, we always used to do like two cents or last stat or whatever however you want to close it out wrap it up for us carolina app state 515 jeff polly asked about a podcast schedule on this one tonight coast to coast drops tomorrow game plan thursday night at nine o'clock see live and then it is all jeremiah adam and Evans show for game day coverage but close us out jeremiah yeah real quick before it closes out I want to say a
3: quick appreciation to people in the comments for the kind words really appreciate it for sure um yeah I think with App State man when I, when I look at when I look at this game you know it's it's time for UNC the the standard has kind of been set you know they kind of came out that first week and again we talked earlier about you know the nine sacks not having to be you know you don't have to get to nine again but they messed around and showed the potential of the kind of team they can be without Tez without Nate McCollum so I think from this point on, just based on the way that they played in that first game, a standard has been set. You know, you want to hit those 35 points per game. You want to hound and limit what other offenses can do. You still have a few games before conference play starts, but it's all going to be about really just taking care of business. Um, you know, they had a couple of games last year where I don't know if they overlooked an opponent, but they kind of, you know, dropped the ball right at a time where Maybe we could get into if you're UNC, maybe we're getting into the top 25 or maybe we're, you know, going to lock up the ACC or whatever. And then they lose a game that they shouldn't lose. So I think this is just another example of, you know, this is a chance where you get to take care of business. You're at home. I do understand they lost the 19 game at home, but you're at home and this is a better team anyway. Uh, Then you get Minnesota that next week. I think if you're UNC or if you're a UNC fan, you should not expect to enter that Pittsburgh game any worse than three and zero? that's what I think and I think that starts it started last week and that should continue this week
1: I will let it end there strong words from Jeremiah oh man uh yeah I, I picked it that way so I, I'm with you 100% I tend to uh not want to get too uh I'll have them 12-0. If we get to that point, it's 12-0. I mean, it just is. <laughs> That's Adam Smith. Great coverage from today and yesterday at the press conferences. Jeremiah, John, I'm Tommy Ashley. It's been On the Beat Live with Inside Carolina. Stay tuned to a ton of content, and do not miss Greg Barnes' story. is front page, Inside Carolina. Tez Walker decision coming Thursday. We'll see what happens. Fellas, Thanks.